All right, welcome back to lesson 11. We're still talking about John the Baptist and his ministry. So we are in John 1 up to verse 6, but we paused and we did a little caveat to go through um, the birth of John the Baptist and the prophecies regarding that, which we found in Luke. And then we went to Matthew 3 to talk about how he was um, serving and and telling everyone that Jesus was coming. Religious leaders came out to see him, and he was very frank with them that God expected them to repent and not to just be Jews that, you know, had these religious beliefs they were holding to, but that if they were not going to show fruit and signs of repentance, that the ax was even now at the root of the tree and they would be chopped down and thrown in the fire. So it's very, very significant, the teaching that John the Baptist has. And then we spent some time in Mark 1. We're still there talking about John baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is in verse 4 of Mark 1. We did take a little caveat and talk about what that meant and that this baptism was not believer's baptism, which we see instituted after Jesus rises from the dead and goes back to heaven, that when people are believing in him, they follow by being baptized. And that is something we see that only believers do in the New Testament. This is something that is significant. If you are putting your faith in Jesus and you follow in obedience to follow in believer's baptism, it's not something that saves you. You believing in Jesus is what saves you. Rather, it's it's your first act of obedience, really, after becoming a believer by identifying with Jesus and by proclaiming publicly that this is who you're standing with. And so we only see, in Acts 2 onward, we only see believers getting baptized, but we do see all believers getting baptized at that point. So it is significant. So we were clarifying that John is not baptizing people with believer's baptism, as we would call it in the church today. He was baptizing them in a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so this was a time for people to acknowledge that they were not where they should have been spiritually. This was something they could do publicly to show that they were repenting of their sins. And this is actually significant to John preparing people for Jesus to come, that they would be ready to receive his word, that they would be open and and yielded to what God was doing. So it is a different baptism than what the believer's baptisms we follow today. It has been done away with because now Jesus is come. And there is a way for us to believe in him. There is a way for us to repent and receive his sacrifice for us, his forgiveness. And now we follow in baptism after being saved as a sign of obedience. And so we see some people in Acts 18 and 19 who did not realize that and had to be updated by the early church about, actually, you don't know the whole story because Jesus came and this is what happened. And then they accept that Jesus is true and they are Rebaptized, as we see that with Paul in chapter 19. So very, very cool to remember all these things. So chapter chapter one in Mark, and we're in verse five now. It says, And all the Judean region and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem went out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So this is a huge amount of people. <laughs> I don't think we really fully understand that. We can just kind of skate over this. But all the Judean region, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, even just all the inhabitants of Jerusalem would be significant. That's a giant city. And so you're, they're talking about a huge number of people that are coming out to hear John the Baptist 
and to know and this scenario, like to know what he had to say. And then we're being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. It says in verse six, and John was dressed in camel's hair and a belt made of leather around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And so he, he's an odd guy. (laughs) This is not your typical guy. He is definitely looking the part, isn't he? And again, I think this is just, he's living in the wilderness. He's being prepared for this ministry. And so there's definitely a feeling of symbolism here for how he's dressing and how he's acting. Because I believe from what I remember anyway, that Elijah dressed similarly Let's go to Mark real quick in our study Bible and see if Pastor John has any comments on this. So Mark 1, let's look here for what he's wearing. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. It says, the traditional clothes of a wilderness dweller, which were sturdy, but neither fashionable nor comfortable. And then it says, John's clothing would have reminded his audience of Elijah whom they expected to come before Messiah. Now, what's interesting here is we remember that from a previous lesson, don't we? And Luke, Gabriel tells Zechariah that he will come in the spirit of Elijah. So let's go there again real quick and remind ourselves about this. So we're in Luke 1. Uh, Let's see here. Verse 17, Gabriel says to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he will go on before him, before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to prepare for the Lord a people made ready. So that is so cool. This is exactly what he's doing, right? He's He is being this sign and this symbol, and he is looking like the prophet. But then in our footnote here, MacArthur has... um Malachi 4, 5 listed. Let's go there quickly. Malachi is in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, verse 5 says, Look, I am going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. And he will bring back the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with a ban. Wow. Look, I am going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahweh. That's amazing. You know, we have here, I'm adding Malachi 4, verse 5 through 6 to our list here. Here is, is again, Old Testament prophecy regarding the birth of John the Baptist. And this is at least 400 years before John the Baptist would come. But how well is this really talking about the way he was going to be? I mean, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Yahweh, and he will bring back the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers. That is so cool to see the prophecies regarding the coming of John the Baptist and the coming ultimately of Jesus. So if we go back to Mark 1, let's see here. So it says um, he was wearing camel's hair, a belt made of leather. He ate locusts and wild honey. Verse seven says, and he was preaching saying, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me of whom I am not worthy to bend down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this speaks again to what we were talking about, the difference between the baptisms of John the Baptist and what we would follow today now that Jesus has come. And the fact that John the Baptist is saying, hey, I'm just a man. 
you know, I'm just here baptizing you with water. He actually has the power to change you. The baptism of John, as sincere as those individuals were, and as they were going down the water and coming back up saying, hey, I'm repenting, I'm confessing my sins. At the end of the day, nothing really was changing that, right? Like they were just, it was a sign, it was a symbol of their repentance. But without the power of the Holy Spirit in us to convict us and to change us and make us more like Jesus, we're not going to change. <laughs> and also the Holy Spirit, as we know from scripture, that is a sign and a seal of the fact that we belong to Jesus and that nothing can snatch us from the hand of God and that we are going to be with him forever. And so that is something that's significant too. So the difference between their two ministries here. Now, if we look at verse nine, I can see that it says, and it happened that in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And so we're not ready for Jesus yet, even though we're building there, right? We're getting there slowly. So we have now done our research on John the Baptist. We know to come back to these passages to talk about Jesus a little bit more, but let's go back to our main text, which is in John, John 1. You might say that's not our main text. We're never there. Well, we've been building a picture, okay? <laughs> we've been painting. And now that we have the backdrop and all the other things painted, we can start to work on the foreground. Okay. So John 1, 6, it says a man came sent from God. Well, that's definitely true. We've seen that John was sent from God, whose name was John. This one came for a witness in order that he could testify about the light so that all would believe through him. That one, John, was not the light, but came in order that he could testify about the light. The true light who gives light to every person was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him. Okay, now we know this isn't talking about John the Baptist anymore. We've transitioned to talking about Jesus. It says he was in the world and the world came into being through him and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own things and his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave to them authority to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a husband, but of God. And it says, and the word became flesh and took up residence among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the one and only from the father, full of grace and truth. That is such a great statement right there. It's such an important verse. The word became flesh, the word capital W, this is Jesus, became flesh and took up residence among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is John speaking. He's the one who saw, this is the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, who is making this reference to we saw his glory. John the Apostle did see his glory. He he lived with him. He worked with him. He knew him very well. And um, that's significant that he says that. So then back to verse 15, we're talking about John the Baptist again. He says, John testified about him, about Jesus, and cried out saying, this one was he about whom I said, the one who comes after me is ahead of me because he existed before me. So then our quotation marks end in verse 15, and then John the Apostle takes over saying, for from his fullness we have all received, and grace after grace, for the law was given through Moses, 
grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. And then he says, no one has seen God at any time, the one and only. God, the one who is in the bosom of the Father, that one has made him known. So this is talking about God the Father versus God the Son, which we know that they are persons of the Godhead, but obviously there is one God, and that is all over Scripture. That's not just us deciding that. But it says, no one has seen God at any time, the one and only God, the one who's in the bosom of the Father. And then he says, God, the one who's in the bosom of the Father, so Jesus, he says, that one has made him known. And that is so cool, so neat to see that God the Son, the one who's in the bosom of the Father, Jesus, is here making God the Father known. And that is exciting and just kind of incredible to think about what he's done and why he came. Verse 19 says, and this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem so that they could ask of John the Baptist, who are you? And he confessed. And he did not deny and confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, we know where that's from. That is, if we click on our little hyperlink in the text here, it's from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Just as Isaiah the prophet said, and they have been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? (laughs) And John answered them saying, I baptize with water. In your midst stands one whom you do not know. The one who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. So John says this in a few different places in scripture we can find here. talks about not being worthy to carry his sandals, not being worthy to unstrap them. Just this, this is like a very menial task for a slave, you know, to take someone's shoes off, wash their feet, etc. Feet were not clean in this culture where they're always walking around in the dirt and dust and everything else. And so again, John the Baptist is putting himself in a great position of humility as somebody who has a thriving ministry at this stage in the game, and Jesus Christ has not come into his ministry yet. And John's saying, there's someone in your midst that you don't know about yet that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. And uh, it says in verse 28, these things took place in Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so this is... a. Uh, Again, he's he's got a place that he's baptizing on the Jordan River. These religious leaders are coming down trying to find out what's going on. And, oh, we're out of time. <laughs> um, but basically, John the Baptist keeps telling people, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm just here to scream and shout that he's coming and to point him out when he gets here. And it almost, maybe I'm just reading into this, but it seems like the religious leaders are a little irritated with John the Baptist for having such a following. And then when they show up and they're kind of like, probably we assume from how they treat Jesus later, they were wanting him to confess to something. So they kind of nail him with it a little bit. And he's like, hey, I'm not any of those people. (laughs) I'm just here to point the way. I'm here to prepare the the way for the Lord. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And maybe it's just my imagination, but it seems like there's a little bit of frustration 
frustration here as they're going back and forth with him. Understandably so after what he has said to them. So <laughs> I'm excited to get into this a little bit more in lesson 12, but I hope you guys are having a great day and that these things will encourage you as you consider the ministry of John the Baptist, his humility and his passion to do what God had called him to do, even if he looked crazy in the eyes of people on earth. So that's exciting to me.